This evening I'd like to direct your attention to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. This evening we'll read God's Word under the heading of Give Thanks. Give Thanks from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the son of Your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to You the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. And I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's Word this evening. And then we'll turn in our Heidelberg Catechism, the forms and prayers in your pew in front of you. And we'll turn to Lord's Day 32. Lord's Day 32, which can be found on page 237. 237. The instructor asks this question, question 86, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? To which we respond together. Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also renewing us by His Spirit into His image. So that with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for His benefits, and that He may be praised through us. And further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Then we'll flip the page to question 87. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, no adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd like to direct your attention to just above Lord's Day 32 in the Heidelberg Catechism, we see a new title. The title, Gratitude. 
This is the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, which covers the third and final portion. And it is all about the subject of gratitude, thanksgiving. And I find it interesting to note that gratitude has actually become a popular topic in recent years. Thankfulness has been the subject of many best-selling self-help books. There are numerous experts now who teach that gratitude is one of the keys to a healthy and happy life. Studies are now showing that if you are a grateful person, you will have less stress. To be thankful is said now to enrich love, to promote your mental and physical well-being. It improves sleep. It even increases your life expectancy, we are told. It is good for people to give thanks. And I think instinctually we all know this. We all know the feeling of receiving a gift and that we should be thankful, shouldn't we? As parents, don't we instruct our children to say thank you when they receive something? Instinctually, we all know gratitude is the right attitude. Sorry, I had to say it once. And just like parents expect their children to be grateful when they receive a new toy, a phone, or a car, or socks, so does God expect His children to be thankful for His good gifts. Over and over throughout the Bible, the refrain is repeated, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18 says, this is God's will for you that you would give thanks in all circumstances. Psalm 107, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God wants us, His people, to be thankful for the many gifts that He's given us. We need to pause this evening and consider how many gifts we have been given. Gifts plentiful for you even before you were even born. Especially as He prepared and accomplished our salvation in Christ. When we pause and think about how much God has given us, there can only be one response. Gratitude. Now the catechism in question one really sets forth its whole theme. Famously stating, what is your comfort in life and in death? I would like to ask a question to you this evening. How do you receive that comfort? Do you remember How do you get this gospel comfort? If you have your catechism open and you flip over to question two of the catechism, it tells us that we receive or that we can live and die in the joy of this comfort, not only knowing the first part of the catechism, which is guilt. 
It doesn't even say that you can receive this comfort living and dying in it if you know guilt and grace. But question two says that we receive this gospel comfort when we know three things. First, my guilt. Second, God's grace. And third, how I thank God for such deliverance. Don't miss this. The comforting life is the thankful life. The life of gospel comfort is a life of gratitude. Boys and girls, Satan will tempt you that the comfortable life is when you serve yourself. The world tells us that to have a good life is to pull yourself up from your bootstraps to serve me and me only. But the Bible teaches that the best life we can have is the life that serves someone else. And the entirety of the third part of the catechism is about this. It's about gratitude. Living the thankful life. Lord's Day 32 is about what we'll call the necessity of thankfulness. Lord's Day 33 is about the nature of thankfulness, i.e. conversion. It's a, Lord's Days 34 through 44 are about the rule of thankfulness. How we can live a life of thankfulness. Lord's Days 45 through 52 are about the power of thankfulness. That being prayer. We are called to live a life of thankfulness. Reuben Bradenhoff, a pastor, wrote a book recently called Thank God, and I want to quote him at, at length in this message this evening. But he has this wonderful quote where he says, Grace begets gratitude. Gratitude is not just a casual thank you, but it's the Christian's serious and joyful obligation to God for the grace He has given us in Christ. And that's exactly what we see the psalmist experiencing in Psalm 116. That he was delivered, God saved him, and so he will live the thankful life. That's our theme for our time together this evening. When we recall our deliverance, we must offer to the Lord lives of gratitude. I want to show you three things this evening from Psalm 116. The object of gratitude, that God is good, and that God is worthy of our grateful praise. That's the object of gratitude, that God is good, and that He is worthy of our grateful praise. Every time Thanksgiving comes around, our culture seems to get behind the idea that we should all be thankful. You'll see it in the paper and on the news. You can ask children, what are you thankful for this year? But I want to ask the question this evening, to whom will we be thankful? You see, our gratitude, as Braden Hoff again says, searches for a worthy object. And what we see in Psalm 116 is that a godless gratitude is actually an empty gratitude. This psalm is what we call a psalm of thanksgiving. 
We don't know who the author is, nor do we know the setting in which it was written. But what is evident is that the object of this psalm, the person to whom the psalmist is grateful, is Yahweh, the God of Israel. Gratitude needs to be directed to the appropriate target. I'll give you an example. If you give me a nice gift, and I say, Lisa, thank you for giving me this. Is that appropriate? The answer, of course, is no. You should be thankful to the person who gave you the gift, right? And Lisa's given me the best gifts in life, of course. But when the psalmist looks back on his life and looks back as onto who has given him gifts, the answer is ultimately that the gifts come from God. And so he says, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now by my count, in the ESV translation, 16 times the psalmist says the name of the Lord in this psalm. And he uses the covenantal name for God, which is Yahweh given in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses. That is the object of his thanksgiving. And you can hear from that just that first statement the joy in his voice, can't you? You can hear the gratitude in his heart. I love the Lord. He has a deep affection for God. Why? Because God saved him from a life-threatening situation. Now, he doesn't tell us what this life-threatening situation is in Psalm 116. Maybe it was a sickness, some physical danger. We don't know. But whatever it is, he tells us that he was close to death. In verses 3-4, through four, you read those things, there's only one conclusion. He's at rock bottom. He's at the end of his rope. He's on his deathbed. And so he lifts up his voice to the Lord and he pleads for mercy. Now, congregation, mercy is an important word here. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. The psalmist knows this God. He knows that He is holy. He knows that God hates sin. He knows that He deserves death. He knows that if God were to take His life, that God would be just. But he cries out, God, don't give me what my sins deserve. He looks to God for salvation. That should be the object of all of our gratitude. The God who we can cry out to even in our darkest moments, in the weakest of times, when death seems to clutch at our lives. And this psalm is but another example 
of God hearing their cry for mercy and answering. But there's more. Scholars note that in the Old Testament, the word for love, I love the Lord, the psalmist says, doesn't only indicate feeling in the Old Testament, but also tends to indicate in the Old Testament faith and obedience. For example, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, God says in what's called the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love here doesn't just mean have an ooey-gooey feeling for me. It means obey. Serve. Commit yourself to me. What the psalmist is expressing is that since God has saved him, since he has delivered me from death, since at the end of my rope I cried out for mercy and he answered, I will totally commit myself to him. I will live my life in grateful service to God. Now, as I mentioned, we don't know what dilemma the psalmist was facing. But we know it was quite severe. If you look at verse 3, the psalmist says, the snares of death encompassed me. And this image may be taken from hunters who would set up these traps with rope in the forest to snare birds. But the picture here is actually even more horrific. It's as if the psalmist is tied up by the grave itself. One commentator says, as if the ropes came out of the grave and were pulling the psalmist in. Who said the Bible isn't interesting? And the psalmist is panicking in verses 3-4. through four. Notice in verse 3, the repetition of fear. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. It's expressing how serious the danger was. Certain death. We don't know the situation. But we do know that the psalmist says, I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And God answered His prayer. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord answered and the Lord delivered. Look back with me at question 86 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Since we have been delivered, we may not have been on our deathbeds. We may not have had an army marching against us seeking to do us physical harm. But the Catechism says that every single one of us is faced with the dilemma of death. But not just physical death, but the Catechism is reminding us that we are faced with the dilemma of a more serious death, that of spiritual death. I'd like to, you to flip back with me to question chapter or question 5 this evening in your Heidelberg Catechism. 
flip back with me to question five, where we confess that we are inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Question seven, the fall has poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. Question 10, God is angry with our sins. Question 11, we will be punished with the supreme punishment, eternal punishment of body and soul. The dilemma that we are facing is real death. Not just the death of the body, but the death of the soul, which Christ warns us about. Don't fear who can take your life on earth, but fear the one who can cast you into the hellfire. That's our dilemma. Much more severe. Have you said, when considering the subject of hell and spiritual death, the snares of death have encompassed me? Have you ever felt that? The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I am in distress with my sin. I am in anguish with my nature. Psalmist says, come back with me to Psalm 116. Call on the name of the Lord. And notice he doesn't just call on a God. He calls on the God, the covenantal name of Yahweh, who gave that name, Yahweh, to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, who promised Moses, I am that covenant-keeping God who keeps faith from generation to generation. His covenant made in Genesis 3 that He will crush the head of the serpent with the seed of the woman. The covenant made to Noah in Genesis 6 that He will never be angry with creation in such a way again that He will destroy them by way of the flood. The promise made to David that there will be a king who will sit on his throne forever. This is the God He calls upon. The God who promised Christ. pay the penalty, and to deliver sinners. The psalmist says, this God saves. And so He is the object of my gratitude. I really want us to grasp this idea this evening. That the psalmist in saying, I love the Lord, and we'll see it throughout the rest of the psalm, is saying, thank you isn't enough. Take my whole life. Thank you isn't enough. Take my whole life. Congregation, are we saying thank you to Jesus with our whole life? Thanksgiving cannot be a holiday. One day a year. Thanksgiving cannot be a Sunday tradition. But every moment of every day, we are called to give lives of thankful service to Jesus. Remember, James says, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every gift we have in this life is from Him. Shouldn't we be daily, even hourly, thanking God for His good gifts? 
True gratefulness, says our catechism, recognizes all that we have from God and expresses it in a life of gratitude. Boys and girls, I'd like to ask you a question this evening. What is the greatest gift you have ever received? Maybe it was a PlayStation. That's what boys like. What do girls like? Makeup? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you received a new phone. The Bible tells us that the greatest gift we can receive is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift that keeps on giving for all of eternity. God is good. God is good. Meaning that He is not evil. He is not unjust. He is utterly benevolent and loving and unchangeably generous. And all who call upon His name will find that He is good and that He is faithful. And the psalmist experiences this. In fact, there's a dramatic shift. Did you notice that in Psalm 116? That the psalmist goes from defining, or excuse me, a description of his terrifying peril near to be death to describing the glorious nature of God. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Gracious meaning He forgives and cares for the needy. Righteous meaning He is faithful to keep His Word. Merciful that He is tender and understanding and does not give us what our sins deserve. Because God is all of those things, the psalmist says, He protects His people. And notice how the psalmist describes himself. The Lord preserves, protects the simple. The simple. Now in the book of Proverbs, when somebody is called simple, it means foolish, naive, or gullible. But here in Psalm 116, simple means helpless. The Lord preserves those who are helpless. And what this means is that everyone in this room, whether you're very smart, whether you be very rich, whether you be very beautiful, we all know that sickness and death can come to any one of us. We are simple. We're helpless when it comes to sickness. We're helpless when it comes to death. And most importantly, we're all sinners. And the Catechism has taught us already that we cannot live up to God's law perfectly. So we are simple, spiritual people as well. Helpless, spiritually speaking. And so the psalmist says, I was weak. I had great need. But God is so gracious, and God is so righteous, and He is so merciful. He is such an overflowing fountain of all good. He is willing to preserve even the helpless. David expresses this, I think, very well in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The Lord blesses His people because of who He is, not because of who they are. His goodness ever endures. It is never depleted and never diminished. 
And what this means then is that God is worthy. He is a worthy recipient of our gratitude. If the God of all creation loved you so much to deliver you from death, to deliver your eyes from tears, your feet from stumbling, gratitude should touch every aspect of our lives. That's what verse 9 is talking about. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Expresses a close harmony with God and a careful obedience to Him. You see, when our catechism in question 86 is asking the question, why should we do good works? I understand the question not to be actually about good works. In fact, the catechism is already addressed. I believe it's in question 64. The subject of good works. Yes, question 64. It's already addressed this. What I understand question 87, 86, excuse me, to be about is, why should you be thankful? Why should you live for God? And Psalm 116 answers that question. Because He delivered me. Because He is good. I want to serve Him all the days of my life. And so the Catechism says, with our whole lives, we should show that we are thankful to God. But how do we show that we are thankful? It's one thing to say that we should be thankful, but it's another thing to say, how should we do it? And again, I want to mention Reuben Bradenhoff's excellent book, I commend it to you all, titled Thank God. And it's a book about how to be thankful. And I want to share a few thoughts with you from this new book. And I want to encourage you to write these down. Keep them with you. And think about them throughout your week as I did this last week. He says the first way we can thank God, be good thankers of God, is that we need to see our blessings. We need to see our blessings. When I was a little boy, I was taught to sing the song, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, and see what God has done. It is a holy habit to tally and to catalog how many blessings we have received in this life. And if you start to do this, you will begin to see how many blessings you have actually received. When we take care to notice the Father's generosity, we see that even the little things in life are filled with His grace. And that there is no limit to God's generosity. These are a few that he mentions. Think of just the smell of rain on a morning like today. Think of getting a few green lights in a row on your way to work. Think of a Saturday morning when you wake up and realize you don't have to go in today. When we open our eyes, we can see that almost everything we have is a gift from him. Second, he says we should savor our blessings. Oftentimes, we take our gifts for granted. And one way to counter this is to pause and to consider them. God did not give us this world to rush through it, but to enjoy it. Third, we should thank God when He answers prayer. 
How often does God answer our prayers? Think about this, my friends. How many times do we pray for God's blessing upon our day and He actually blesses it? How many times do we pray for traveling mercies and He brings us to our destination safely? Blessing upon a meal, strength for the day, mercy for our sins. He gives us all of these things. And we should come back and thank Him for what He has done. Fourth, we should tell people that we are thankful for them. And now I know that sometimes this can be challenging. But when we assume that, all, that people always know that we are thankful for them and that we love them, oftentimes we end up taking them for granted. But we need to treasure one another as God's gifts to us. We should be willing to tell other people that we are thankful for them and God's work in them. Fifth, remember your blessings even when times are hard. Even Christians have times of great difficulty. But in our trials, we need to remember that God has always cared for us and He's not going to stop now. And how many blessings He has given to us in the past. And that's the sixth point. Remember past gifts. If we're honest, Christians often have spiritual amnesia. We quickly forget who God is. We quickly forget who we are and what Christ has done. Forgetful Christians often fall into the sin of ingratitude. But when I look back and think of my wedding day, for example... My heart swells with gratitude for my wife. In the same way, we are called to remember God's deeds. Remember His mercy. How before this world was even created, He said, I love you with an everlasting love. Think about how before this world was even, uh, you know, a foundation of this world was even laid, how He promised to send a Savior for you. How at the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. How you, when you were born, God marked you with the waters of baptism. How He promised to you that all who respond in faith will be saved. Remember how He's been with you every day of your life, guiding, blessing, answering, strengthening, delivering, providing, and comforting. His hand has always been upon you, Christian. And so He is worthy of our gratitude. Obedience then is just our loving response to all of this. It's the glad recognition of our indebtedness to a good God who has always been good, who always will be good, Because He loves us. Because He loves us. So boys and girls, when you roll your eyes because mom and dad want to sing count your blessings, name them one by one again before bed, remember that it is a wonderful spiritual principle. And it leads us to this third and final point that God is worthy of grateful praise. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul asks a question. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And the more I think about this question, and I've thought about it a lot this past week, the more I realize that everything is a gift. This beautiful earth, our spouses, our nation, our friends, our upbringing, our children, our bodies, our work, another day, our families, technologies, creativity, a good night's sleep, none of it comes from my hands. Everything is a gift. Now there may be somebody who might ask me after the evening service tonight, well what about what I work for and earn with my hard-earned money? But even when we go back and we consider guilt and gratitude, do we not see that everything is a gift? Because we don't deserve it. Even if we quote-unquote earn it, we don't deserve it. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. The fact that we've been given anything is a gift. And the best gift that we have is the gift of faith in God the Son. So how can you repay God? For your whole life. For everything that you have. If you give me a gift, I'll give you a thank you card. That's my payment to you. Just kidding. But how do you repay God? Look what the psalmist says in verse 12. That's the question. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? All of them. And the answer is, you can't. You can't repay God for grace. Grace is unmerited. You don't earn it. Furthermore, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your gold. What He wants the psalmist says, is your praises. God does not desire sacrifices upon the altar. Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart offered up to Him in praise. So the psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. I will worship Him. That's what these verses are saying. I will go to the congregation of God's people and I will lift up my voice in praise to God. And he mentions the cup here. And I think this is based on Numbers 28 where we see what's called a drink offering or the offering of libations. Where people would go to a worship service and they would pour out a drink and offering to God. And the sacrificial offerings we know post-Old Testament began to always have drink offerings included with them. But there's a major difference between Numbers 28 and Psalm 116. In Numbers 28, verse 7, the drink offering is described as something that the offerer gives to God. He pours out a drink for God. The difference in Psalm 116 is that the psalmist doesn't talk about giving God anything. Instead, he says, I am the recipient of salvation. 
The life of thankfulness is the life of blessedness. That when we live lives of thankfulness to God, aren't we the ones that actually receive? The ones who get the blessing? Who get the joy? Who get the peace? Who get God's promise of salvation? Just like it says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of wicked nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The thankful life is the blessed life. God fills us with new reasons to praise Him every day and when we praise Him, it is immensely good for us. We are the benefactor. We are the recipients of salvation. We cannot repay God for His grace, but we can praise Him for His grace. Now, I love verse 15. When people pass away in our church, this is the verse I want to comfort my own heart with and comfort the congregation with. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Literally in the Hebrew, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His loved ones. And the sense of the verse is this, that God's loved ones are so precious that He keeps them from dying. Now, of course, this side of heaven, we will all taste the bitterness of death. But the psalmist is saying, when I called upon God, He preserved my life forever. Now, since we experience death, does this mean this verse is broken? Not at all. The psalm is actually looking to the resurrection of the dead. When God, who is not indifferent to mankind's plight against our last enemy, but in the resurrection of Christ will give new and enduring life to us. And so that even when our hearts stop beating, and that even when our eyes close that final time, because our lives are hidden with Christ in heaven, we are not dead. The dead in Christ shall never die. But that Christ holds them still in the palm of His hands. And He holds them until that day when the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised and we will be caught up into the air to meet Him, never to die again. Yes, we may experience a physical death, but the promise is that you will never experience the second death. Eternal death. This is such good news to the psalmist. He says, I will tell of all your works. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. He's going to go and He's going to proclaim Him. Psalmist is saying, I'm going to 
publicly tell people about this incredible deliverance that God saved me. Look again with me at question 86. This good news isn't just for us, is it? It's supposed to be for the world. That by our godly living, by our preaching, by our sharing the gospel, by our example, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Don't leave the gospel here, my friends. Take it home. Take it to your friends. Take it to your families. That they too will never die in Christ. So the resounding conclusion is that if God has truly delivered you, how could we not want to serve Him? He hasn't withheld any good thing from us. Not even His one and only Son from us. Just like the psalmist, a Christian doesn't have to serve Him. The Christian wants to serve Him. And that's why Lord's Day 32 ends with question 87. If you don't want to serve Him, if you would prefer your sin, unchastity, idolatry, adultery, thief, covetousness, drunkenness, slander, thievery, if you would prefer that, the problem isn't with the gift giver. The problem is with the heart of the recipient. Grace begets gratitude. If there is no gratitude, we need to be asking the question, have you experienced His grace? So I ask you the question this evening, do you know God's grace? Do you know of His Son who died for sinners so that they can serve God in the Spirit? Search your hearts today and know that Christ has promised that He will deliver you from eternal death. He will save you at the end of your rope on your deathbed. He delights to save sinners. The angels rejoice in in heaven when a sinner confesses Christ. Come and experience the grace that you've experienced in your guilt. Come into a life of thankfulness that truly is the blessed life. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You are that good God and that You delight to save sinners such as us. And we ask, Father, that You would be pleased to work in our hearts a gratitude for Your gifts of grace that we might serve You and enjoy the privilege of serving You. And we pray, Lord, that You would soften our hearts when our hearts are cold and sometimes in love with our own sins. And that we would be reminded that You have delivered us from a misery, not that we can turn back to our misery, but so that we can turn to Christ who has redeemed us by His precious blood. We pray, Lord, that You would be pleased to do these things for Your glory and for the fame of Your name, we pray. And in Jesus' name, Amen.